Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 123 of Locked On Canadians. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and we're with you every single day talking about Canadians news or non-news and basically general Habs and hockey miscellany until such a time as the league comes back, if it does come back this season. My name is Laura Saba, and you might know me as the active stick. And I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful and also very exhausted co-host, Scott Matla. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I finally got to my days off, and the last five days felt like, you know, five years. I'm pretty sure I said that yesterday because time is a flat circle and everything blends together these days. But I'm doing all right. It was nice to get to sleep in a little bit and try and, you know recoup some of the lost hours from working so much during the past week. Um, outside of that, I can't really complain too much. Hopefully going to hit one of the drive through beer pickups in town to support one of the local breweries, which if you have the means to do so and you feel comfortable doing so, a lot of local people out in wherever you are could probably use your support. So always be sure to at least try and do that if it's feasible for yourself. But above all else, stay safe out there, folks. And for those of you who don't know, if you're a new listener, Scott is classified as an essential employee, which means while the rest of us are quarantining, Scott has to go to work every day to supply people with basic necessities. His regular job is to be the beer guy and make beer decisions and tell you what to get if you like beer. But his current job is actually security protected (laughs) because he needs to restock shelves because apparently... People have not yet run out of the toilet paper that they've been hoarding. And I just want to mention, if you're out there, if you're getting your necessities, please be nice to the people that are working. And also, please do not touch them or approach them. Before we get into some of the stuff that we want to discuss today, I want to quickly run through some of the feedback that we've gotten from our listeners on our last episode. So on yesterday's episode... We talked about what we would choose as our goal songs and also who the most underrated Canadians were in history. And we've got some answers from some listeners. We've got Paul Show, one of our regular listeners. And again, we are so grateful to everybody who's continuing to keep us as part of their day. And he says, seeing as I'm a goalie, my personal goal song would be At Last by Etta James. If I were a bona fide sniper, it would be ACDC's What Do You Do For Money, Honey? So <laughs> I'm just imagining a goalie scoring a goal that in the background it just goes at last and I'm just cackling <laughs> to myself now because that's so so good. I absolutely <laughs> love that. It is good and that's the thing cuz people use this for weddings a lot. So like I'm imagining like the goalie scores and then an impromptu wedding takes place on the ice and it's kind of like Disney on ice but it's like a bride and groom or whatever. <laughs> I really like the at last. Uh, that's a really good one. And then we've got our friend, the curmudgeon. I'm so glad that he's shown a sign of life because I was wondering where he was and I was hoping he was still listening to us. Um, Clint says, as a tribute to the glorious 2000 era Habs, <laughs> my goal song would be U2 Vertigo. I think that's very, very fitting. Yeah, I, I like that. That was my favorite <laughs> thing is because there was U2 Vertigo after Simple Plan wrote a goal song for the Canadians. It was a dark period for uh, Montreal goal songs, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, you you really can't go wrong with, like, I think it's called Le But, right, by Loic Lacasse. Like, I think you can't, you you have to, you have to keep that. Like, that's a Montreal 
That's a Montreal goal song. That's it. Bring it back. Keep it there forever. Never change it. I don't think anybody is going to complain. No, I so. miss I miss the goal song so much. It's <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with the one now, but it's not a goal song. It's just noise and someone saying hey after a couple of beats. It's not – it's like I look at what the Sabres did. The only good thing they've done in recent history, and they made Let Me Clear My Throat as the goal song – and it's dope because it gets the crowd into it. I I don't know. Maybe I'm just being curmudgeon about this. I don't know. I think we're all in, like, a curmudgeon mood lately, but hopefully listening to us is brightening your day. I hope that listening to Scott try to sing Etta James is at least cheering everybody up a little bit. And then we have uh, another opinion about the most underrated Canadians. First of all, Paul Branshaw wants to correct your pronunciation. And he says, first off, Scorch Manifesto. Oh, that was good. <laughs> Probably should have done that before I ran out of names. <laughs> and he says, Scrooland, Scrooland is pronounced Scrooland. No U.S. political pun intended. Secondly, my most underrated have is Brian Hayward. Hayward played in the Shadow of Raw, earned the nickname of Road Warrior because the majority of his starts were road games. And it's the only time I remember the Habs having a legit 1A and 1B tandem in goal. Also, he did tur- turtlenecks long before Placanets. So I'm not surprised that he would choose a goalie because he is a goalie. And I knew that there was going to be, like, there were going to be goaltenders mentioned here because I feel like as many uh, Canadians legends that, 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 that there have been in goaltending, there are also a bunch of unsung heroes that were probably overshadowed by all kinds of superstars up front, right? Yeah. So I think that's really good. And I think that's it for our feedback. And again, like, please continue to tell us what your personal goal songs would be and also what Canadians you find underrated. A quick programming note before we get right into talking about hockey things is we have a special guest I'm very excited it's still going to remain a surprise because I'm so excited about this that I can't even believe that it's true I feel like it's too good to be true and we're gonna be having we're gonna be posting that hopefully tomorrow if you get just me and Scott and very dejected tomorrow you'll know that we weren't able to make it happen but our guest has confirmed and does not have a history flaking so i'm very excited about this so in our next segment we're going to get right into three pieces of canadians news that we have learned today so earlier today and also i want to say in the last couple of days we have been getting little pieces of canadians news and information that kind of have an impact both in the immediate and in the long term i guess the first one let's talk about the one that was just announced today is that the canadians are going to be laying off their workers temporarily but have established a six million dollar fund to pay them 80 percent of their salaries in the meantime scott am i getting this right Yeah, so this is actually from the Canadian's website. In an effort to reduce the impact of this decision on the employees, uh, Group CH has uh, established a six-year, or six-year, six-million-dollar assistance fund. This fund will help enhance employee insurance benefits for a period of eight weeks, ensuring that employees will receive 80% of their base salary during this period. This fund will also be made available to provide loans for employees who find themselves in difficult financial situations as a result of the global pandemic. So it seems like, and the way Laura explained this to me, is that this is to help 
people who are now temporarily laid off from this. This is not a permanent thing. This is a temporary thing, obviously, with no hockey operations, nothing happening at the arena, nothing, anything like that to every, it's go, we're going to see a lot more of this around the league. And it seems like it is a very big fund from Jeff Molson and whoever else is at the head of the Canadians organization in this and to help, you know, employees in Canada as they file for employment insurance, as Laura explained it to me. And it's good to see at least the Canadians are on the forefront of this. They aren't dragging their feet like some teams still aren't paying, you know, their regular employees. <laughs> Boston. <laughs> Buffalo. Um, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's just a shame that it has to come to this point right now is all. Yes, it is upsetting. But it's also like I, I'm uh, I'm listening to the wording as you were reading that. So it's not super, super clear. It looks like the Canadians are either going to be paying employees their salaries for like 80% of their salaries uh, before they go on EI or they're going to top up EI so that the Canadians, uh, so that their employees will be able to get 80% of their salaries instead of what EI affords, which is uh, far lower than that. And so that might be one thing. The other thing that I noted is that they've established a fund of $6 million. And I'm wondering if the way that they phrase that is that the fact that they, they have $6 million in it now and they're opening up the possibility that maybe their players might want to top it up. I don't know because I do know that the Canadians players have been um, donating to important causes around the league, like Angela and Carrie Price, for example, donated $50,000 to the Breakfast Club so that people who uh, like who need it can be fed in the morning. It's a cause that's very dear to, to Carrie Price's heart. And so I know that like the, the players themselves are trying as well to help. So I'm wondering if they say they've established a fund, which means that it's possible that people will be able to uh, top it up. I don't know. Or it might be like, They've already decided that the players and, and the owners all together are going to are going to be uh, establishing just six million dollars. I have no idea, but either way, I think it's a really positive step. I think that it's it's going to help a lot of people stay afloat for the duration of we don't know how long it's going to be that the season is off. Yeah, it's it, and the thing is, no one wants this situation right now. Like that, like I I feel like that needs to be said is that no one wants this to be you know what's going on right now. I feel like it's unfortunate that we're here, you know, right now, but at least some teams are doing what they can to, you know, make the most of it, I guess. And it's good to see players doing a lot with this, like them, uh, Carrie and Angela stepping up for the Breakfast Club of Canada and all these other players who even started these initiatives to help pay employees. Them doing that shows that a lot of these these players, as much as we hated, you know, them on the ice, that a lot of them are doing so much good off the ice and putting their wealth to good use, unlike some of their owners or other people in the U.S. I just want to say, like when you said players that we might hate, you were absolutely talking about Brad Marchand, right? And his $100,000 donation. <laughs> I hate that Brad Marchand off the ice would probably be like one of my best friends. Like he does so <laughs> much for LGBTQ rights, standing up to like people on Twitter who say like, horrible, awful things and everything, and it's like, why? Don't make me like you, Brad. Like, I I don't <laughs> want to like you, but I do. <laughs> it is important to note that he was one of the very first players to step up, too. Like, he was right away, he was like, you know, um, I think it started in basketball, if I'm not mistaken, and, uh, and then, you know, when it came to hockey, he was one of the first people, so... I mean, way to go, Brad, but also please don't lick people. Um, I can't, I can't get it out of my head. 
Especially uh, now. Um, don't look people now. now. Now that you know what the consequences could be. All right. And so there were two things that were revealed by Eric Engels of Sportsnet in a piece. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but you sent it to me today. And one of them, I mean, it was very interesting. And uh, like one of them like made my eyebrows go up. Uh, go ahead and talk about, I guess, talk about what the piece was about and then talk about the like tidbit that was tucked away in it. So uh, Eric Engels, I believe it was last night he mentioned this, but today um, it came up uh, back in my feed because I forgot to send it last night because I was too busy playing Call of Duty with a friend because I'm an adult who needed to relax. Um, so Eric Engels, uh, need to need a distraction from COVID. Yes, I know you do. Here's a piece on the Cole Caulfield staying in Wisconsin news meant to me and what it should mean to Jesse Yolanin. And the big thing in there is that Eric – that believes that with Caulfield staying in Wisconsin, which Laura and I have discussed a couple of times this week and the previous week, there might be a space for Jesse Yolanin to now go from right from Laval to the NHL, to Montreal, where this team has a space for him if he can, you know, claim that spot and make a push for it. But kind of buried in there a little bit is that he, uh, Engel says, I'm told it's all but a slam dunk. The big right-hander will be back to Montreal on a bonus-laden contract in regards to one Ilya Kovalchuk. And the giddy fan in me who loved having Kovalchuk here for like that month and a half loves this idea. And then the part of me that has to overthink everything is going, okay, but how much is the contract, you know, because... We now look at the cap was supposed to go up to $88 million. We talked about teams spending money. With this season being the way that it is and everything that's going on, that cap isn't going up this year. And if anything, that cap might go down, which still actually suits Montreal very well because they have a ton of cap space. Here's my question. Is there a cap on what bonuses you can provide, or do they just like get added to your cap if the player hits them? No, I believe the bonuses get paid out of, like... I don't know if that's the only, because we saw with the Sebastian Ajo thing, the si- or that's signing bonuses. Bonuses do impact the cap, I believe, if you hit them. So that's why the Leafs, when they had, like, Lou Marillo was so bullish on not giving anyone, like, bonuses in their contract, because all these young rookies would have pushed them over the cap limit. And even then, though, unless this is a ridiculously heavy bonus contract, like, if you score 20 goals, we'll give you an extra $2 million kind of thing. I I don't see a downside to bringing Ilya Kovalchuk back. I feel like it would be something like, here's your signing bonus, here's your base salary, and then if the Canadians make the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's if the Canadians make the playoffs, we'll pay you this much more. If you play in this many games, we'll pay you this much. If you hit these goal or point totals, we'll pay you this much. You know, um, I think that's the biggest thing. And I want to touch now more on... Uh, the Jesse Yolanin thing because, um, he, that's more in my area of expertise with the Rocket in that I don't know if Jesse Yolanin is going to be an NHL player next year. I believe he has the talent, but I think he needs a year with Joel Bouchard. And from Eyes on the Prize, uh, Patrick Bexell mentioned that Arsen Hissamutadinov, uh, he did his player review. He's a player that Montreal seemed to draft to get his rights because he's a little bit older before he becomes one of those coveted Russian free agents. And those are both two players I think we could see uh, Yolan and Wilby. He'll be with the Rocket next year. That's almost guaranteed. But he may be joined by Hissamutadinov and in Joel Bouchard's kind of watch because he's playing in 
the Russian equivalent of the AHL, and he had 13 points in 14 games, but struggled to get KHL time. Maybe bringing him over, giving him some of that time to develop is we're going to see more players with the Rocket, and that gives Kovalchuk that space to slide in in a healthy Canadians lineup next year, hopefully. Well, that's the thing. I think that you can't just think about um, the NHL level at this point, given that, you know, the Rocket this year were so hit by the Canadians injuries, like they had their own injuries and then they had the Canadians injuries. And I think what what would really be good for the club in general as a whole is to have a group of players at the AHL level that will be ready to graduate at around the same time. Like they, you know, they're going to be replacing the core because we're we're going to be losing players to, uh, I guess, uh, free agency. We're going to be losing players to Seattle. We're going to be losing players to like not wanting them anymore. <laughs> So I think like the Canadians would be smart while Carey Price is still alive and not claimed by Seattle. Um, I mean, if, if he gets claimed, great. Uh, but you know, like I think like there's there's a very short amount of time left for Carey Price. So like um, the the I would want the team to be as ready as possible to go once all these kids make it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's get them in the proper situation to you know, have the most success at the professional level. And if Ilya Kovalchuk being here for a year, and I assume it will be a one-year deal, that I think he'll be that nice kind of bridge person. It's um He comes in, and they don't need to expect 30 goals out of this guy. If Ilya Kovalchuk contributes 15-ish goals and, you know, plays the role that he did when he was here in Montreal this past year, one, he's going to bring excitement back because we talked about it before when he was here, Fans got excited for Ilya Kovalchuk, and it's a good way, especially after this season, to kind of bring some of those people back in the fold. The team is healthy. We've got Ilya Kovalchuk for a full year. We're ready and going. Everyone's going to be hungry for hockey. It's a, it's a slam dunk kind of for the Canadians to bring him back and give them those young prospects the time to develop that they need and then go right into you know the NHL when they're ready. And instead of rushing people up just because there's – a need there and they just take first person up, you know? We don't know. <laughs> Things could change completely different because at this point, the beginning of next season is, uh, like six months away, almost seven months, almost seven months away. Yeah. So, uh, and that's if everything goes according to schedule, like the NHL doesn't come back and they decide to come back on time for next season. So, a lot of things could change. We still have the draft. We've still got free agency. We've got all kinds of stuff until then. But in the meantime, uh, in our final segment, we're going to debate, much like everybody around the league is currently doing, debate NHL awards based on the season to date. And that's coming up in our final segment. Another year, another Canadian getting snubbed for an NHL award. Well, I mean, it hasn't happened yet, <laughs> but based on the way that, based on what we've been reading from all the media around the league, it's like, it's like a domino effect. So last week, every, like every NHL media member had an article or a piece or like a podcast or a, a TV appearance talking about spitballing what will happen. And then, so this week, it's everybody's turn to do NHL awards. It's like one person does it and then everyone's like, actually, here's my opinion on this. So we are also going to give us uh, give you guys our opinion on this. And Nick Suzuki is not in anyone's top three for the Calder that I can tell, which is a crime. And I mean, I, I, I guess, uh, Philippe Dano was probably like a, like a long shot this particular year, 
for a Selkie, a Selkie nomination, but I think that, you know, before he leaves Montreal, I would like to see him in the top three. What do you think? Yeah, I think for trophies this year, I have one that I know is a slam dunk. Like, that's it. And just because if it goes to anyone else, they should just cancel the NHL awards in, like, every single level. In that the only, you know, person I have for getting anything this year that isn't really up for debate is that Connor Hellebuck deserves the Vesna Trophy. Because without him, the Winnipeg Jets would be an ECHL team this year. And that's not an understatement at all. And, I mean, we've been on the Philip Deneau for Selkie and Nick Suzuki for Calder train the entire year. It's just now with the season going the way that it has and stopping short, I don't think we can really see if they get, you know, more would have gotten more press for that. Like, I think Philip Deneau probably should have gotten some Selkie attention this year. I think it would be tough for him with some of the other people that are in the lineup and also on teams that, you know, are going to make or would have made the playoffs. And it's the same thing for Nick Suzuki. He's had a very good rookie season that's overshadowed by a couple of other rookies on playoff teams having very good seasons as well. It's almost like a perfect storm of unfairness, which, you know, that's hockey. You kind of deal with it and you move on, you know. Uh, I'd love to see, I think in the future seasons, we're going to see Nick Suzuki get nominated for some awards, especially as he's, you know, progressing in his defensive play. And I don't know about Philip Deneau if it's because he's, you know, older as a player. He's not old, but he's older by Canadian standards that I feel like he's going to go kind of like Thomas Buchanan's was that he had years and years and years of being an extremely good player that didn't get the attention until, you know, it's too late. And everyone's going to look back and go, oh, hey, why didn't, you know, we talk about that more? And I feel like that's going to be another case this year that as good as Philip Deneau has been, He's not quite going to get the uh, Selkie attention that maybe he should. I think it also has to do with the team rankings, right? Like if the Canadians were second in, in the East or second in the Atlantic or whatever, like people would be asking themselves, okay, who has a lot to do with that? And th- like in that scenario, yes, Philippe Dano absolutely would get attention. Nick Suzuki absolutely would get attention. And it's not to say that the, you know, that the general consensus around the league, like those players aren't, don't have deserved, um, I guess at the moment it's not actual votes, it's accolades, it's, it's, uh, it's praise. But when it comes to voting, like I think that, um, I feel like the, the, the field would be a little bit more, uh, inclusive of Canadians on it, uh, if they were having a good, I mean, we were talking at the beginning of the year when, when Shea Weber came back from, from, whatever his messy, uh, like existential, uh, I guess, de- depression. I have no idea. He like wasn't doing really well for a couple weeks. And then all of a sudden he came back and was on track to have a career year. Like, I think that he would have been in the conversation as well for a Norris, but the Canadians as a whole just were so underwhelming and so, uh, like just so mediocre that it would, like, it's not justified to give any of their players this kind of attention, I think. But, you know, that could change next year. Like if the Canadians have a really good year, I feel like we're going to see a lot of, a lot more names in the conversation. And, and I want to stress that I'm not saying that these people should be on the lists or, or the finalists. I think they should be in the conversation is all. Uh, but anyway, so I'm going to read out. Uh, a list of the NHL awards, and I want Scott's opinion on who should get each one. Please don't because yell at me. <laughs> I will not. Uh, because I'm hosting, and I've decided that Scott's going to give opinion. Okay. 
Let us start with the, uh, I'm going to go with like the NHL's order. So they start with Hart Trophy, MVP. Uh, it's got to be Leon Dreisaitl right now with a big close second place to Artemi Panarin because Dreisaitl has been incredible for the Oilers this year. And it's not just because McDavid's there. McDavid's been in and out of the lineup and Leon Dreisaitl is still just absolutely torching the league right now and Artemi Panarin in New York has turned the Rangers in from a team that was well maybe they'll be good you know next year after all these big signings to oh this team's pretty good now and his point totals and everything are absolutely incredible for that Rangers team I'm I absolutely agree with you okay next Norris best defenseman uh probably Roman Yossi or John Carlson I saw a debate uh, coming from Dom LeCision on Twitter about how good John Carlson actually is defensively, and we've seen this before with Brent Burns, is that do points from a defenseman equal a Norris Trophy, or do they actually need to be, you know, good at both ends of the ice to win a Norris Trophy? And it's a very interesting debate, I feel like. I think Roman Yossi is having a really good year, but for me, the edge goes to Carlson a little bit just because... um this is like this is not expected for him. Like with Roman Yossi, you're expecting you're getting what you're expecting from him. And with John Carlson, like like you're expecting a good defenseman, yes, but to put up numbers at both ends of the both ends of the ice, like this is a career year. I feel like for me, he has the edge just a little bit. Uh the Vezina trophy. Uh, like I said earlier, it's, it's Connor Hellebuck, and if it's anyone else, I will literally riot at the NHL offices until it's corrected. I, I, I don't care. I disagree with you. <laughs> uh, Calder Trophy for best rookie. I think Kale McCarr's running away with it. Uh, I have Quinn Hughes, actually. Um, nice. I adore Quinn Hughes. I love watching him play, and we've talked about it before. Would Montreal have been better off drafting Quinn Hughes or Brady Kachuk over Jesperi Kotkaniemi, and it's... It's going to be a timeless debate in that it's never going to end in Canadian circles. So I, I, I'm a big fan of Quinn Hughes. And if Nick Suzuki can't win the Calder, I'm hoping it's Quinn Hughes that does. Yeah. I think so. No, I mean, I disagree. I said Kale McCarr, but I just mean like the argument stands. I think it's a really good argument for both. And also like I want the record to state that we said something nice about Vancouver. And um, this should maybe earn us like 30 minutes of not being yelled at by Canucks fans. Yes, please. <laughs> Next award on the list, the Selkie Award for Best Defensive Forward. Sean Couturier, end of list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, you can't really argue with that. Um, I uh, He's one of my favorite players. I actually saw him when, when in the last lockout. I drove all the way to Glens Falls, New York, to watch Sean Couturier play with the Phantoms before they moved uh, to Lehigh Valley. Yeah. Um, Lady Bing trophy for most gentlemanly play. I, <laughs> I don't know. Just give it to someone who's not a jerk, I guess. Like, I don't know who how you decide. Is it just least penalty minutes? Like, I... I, I think that's how voters look at it. But... Least penalty... If my thing would type here, at least penalty minutes in NHL. Let's let's take a look here. Um, let's see if I can actually get one of the uh, hockey stats sites to work. Um, no, I want the other way around. I don't want most penalty minutes. The opposite of the Lady Bing. Who has the most penalty minutes? 
Uh, Evander Kane has 122. Not surprising. Okay, these are all goalies, so none of you players count. Okay, I'm not even going to bother doing all of that, because then i got to filter everything. I'm going to throw a dart at the board and... You know what? We're going to give Nick Suzuki a award. Nick Suzuki wins the Lady Bang. We're done. We're, we're just going to do that. <laughs> uh, the Masterton Trophy, dedication to hockey, otherwise known now as a player who had the worst off-ice adversity. I, who would you even choose? I, I don't know at this point, but coming back next year, um, I, like that thing is like normally we hear more and more of these stories coming out and, uh, as the season goes on or as we get closest. I personally haven't like been following stuff like that closely because, you know, there's enough kind of sad news out there right now. So I don't have one for that right now. No matter who wins it, I'm sure they are more than deserving of it. It's not a competition to see who had it worst is the uh, big thing that I think needs to be noted here. Yes, I agree. The Jack Adams Award for Coach of the Year. Elaine Vigneault of the Philadelphia Flyers, who turned that team from one that was struggling into arguably the hottest team in the NHL going into the suspension of play. I can't argue with you there. Um, The Ted Lindsay Award, the best player as voted by the NHLPA. It's tough to argue with Dreisaitl. Like, like his, for this award, you kind of have to be like, who are they going to vote for? Who's the NHLPA going to vote for? And they always vote for, like, the same, usually the same as, like, whoever gets the MVP, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, there's been a whole debate. is like, should these just be different awards, you know? But, again, I, I it's hard to argue against Dreisaitl for something like that. Just because, one, he's the leading point getter in the NHL, like, just just give him the award. He's clearly the MVP. I hate this award, but the GM of the Year award. No one. None of you. You're all terrible, and I don't like you. Um, uh, Mark Bergevin for sending Sebastian Ajo to a contract for the Carolina Hurricanes. In reality, it's probably got to be Joe Sackick for how well he's helped turn the avalanche around. Uh, Don Sweeney in Boston's done a very good job, and now that I've said that, I have to go wash my hands for twice as long as I normally would anyways. <laughs> so uh, either one of them really isn't, you know, a bad choice. I think that's it, because the other ones are like the Mark Messier Leadership Award, where Mark Messier decides who he's going to give it to, right? <laughs> yes, the Leadership Award, where, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's it. So... Uh, I think we've talked enough for like a full episode. Yes, we have. And so we are going to be back tomorrow with our special guest. We hope against hope. <laughs> He's not going to stand us up. Oh, no, I said it's he. All right. Uh, that narrows down the guesses like a little bit, I guess. Uh, in any case, we will be with you tomorrow and uh, with our hopefully fun interview. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at LO underscore Canadians. If you want to follow Scott, he's at Scott Matla. If you want to follow me, I am at The Active Stick. If you would like to email us, we're at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. And we love emails. Please send us emails. That wraps it up for this edition of Locked On Canadians. Now tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NHL.